we have a really excited episode planned for you today, and I'm really excited to dig in on our first guest interview. So in just a minute here, I'm going to share with you the interview. I had the opportunity to speak with Alex Cotran, who is the CEO of the AI Education Project. The AI Education Project is doing some really, really great things for schools and for kids. And so if you are an educator working at a school, I would highly, highly encourage you to check out their website, AIED.org. They actually have this really, really robust curriculum on there built out into two different types. They have these five-minute snapshot lessons, which allow educators to do kind of like warm-ups in a lot of the lessons that you'll do during the, the course of a school year during that instructional time with students to casually expose them to AI technology so that they're learning a little bit more examples of that. Could be like a five-minute warm-up conversation on what do you think about ChatGPT? What are the pros? What are the cons? Discuss. And then they also have a more robust curriculum built out into 50-minute lessons, which could also be scaffolded into larger lessons if you'd like to. And these lessons are really great. They allow students to do really big deep dives into AI technology and to learn skills as well, which I really appreciate. And students will walk out of this eight-unit experience going through some of their lessons, having a deeper understanding of a lot of skills that they're going to need to be successful at as they graduate from high school and go into the real world, a world with that is significantly more technologically advanced than it will be when they're starting their educational experience. And plus, all these lessons are free. So all you have to do is go to their website, you put in an email and some information, and you're able to access a lot of great curriculum. It includes lesson plan, teacher guides, it includes PowerPoints, pretty much everything you need to get started with students. So I'm really excited for you all to hear my conversation with Alex. He is, uh, he really has such a great perspective on you know, the landscape and really is addressing, I think, a critical need for to allow students and to allow teachers and educators to enter this conversation with the knowledge that they need and the context that they need to understand this AI technology. Really excited and looking forward to that. Really what I took away from that conversation is that on the technological side, when we look at a lot of these AI companies, I think they're really eager to have students and teachers in the conversations. But naturally, and, and I know that us as educators, we know this a lot, so much of the way that the systems are designed between workforce development, between schools, between higher ed partners, between uh, technology companies out there, so many of those things are siloed. And I think it can be obviously really challenging and, and we need to obviously in the world address this and try to create more systems which bring all of these industries into a convergence point so we can have really meaningful conversations. But until that happens, we need to advocate for ourselves. What I love about Gen Z and, and the current students that we have in the K-12 K system and what I love about schools is we're very resilient and we're always willing to advocate for ourselves. The thing that it makes this curriculum really great is it allows students to have a, a basic understanding of some of these things and then to be able to enter these conversations with some agency so that we can actually define what some of these AI tools look like. We can define uh, how they're influenced, how they're biased, and how they're created. And really looking forward to that. And that was a, a very meaningful takeaway for me. Hoping you enjoy that conversation. Briefly, before we jump in, wanted to just share some updates in the world of AI so that we're keeping you up to date there. Uh, the biggest update I wanted to share is my last update from episode three essentially proved to be right so far. I, I'd mentioned that I think very shortly Google was going to announce what their learning language model, their competitor to ChatGPT was going to be. And they did at the beginning of the week when I dropped uh, the third episode, they announced that their learning language model that they are going to be partnering with the Google search engine is called BARD. And so they ended up actually too going through a demo. And I will say that they had a little bit of an oopsie uh, that has gotten some 
media attention, the oopsie was as they were showing off the, the Bard AI chatbot, uh, which is intended to be ChatGPT's big rival, they asked it a question, and the question they had asked it was, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? And then Bard offered a series of bullet points in a response just like ChatGPT would. And then it, apparently one of the bullet points that it offered was that the telescope took the very first pictures of a planet outside of our own solar system. And then a lot of content experts, astronomers in particular on Twitter, pointed out that that fact was incorrect and that the first image of an exoplanet was taken in 2004. This is just kind of, it, it, it was a little bit funny just because literally this is the model where they're showing off their tool. Um, I'm sure that BART is going to be an amazing model once it's all set up. But this is essentially one of the hesitations that I know people have with some of these learning language models is we're taking some of the facts and the information that it provides as face value as 100% accurate, and it was wrong, right? And clearly it, it needed to be. And so uh, Google is definitely getting some slack this week and for, for that mistake there. And it doesn't look too good when this is the marketing presentation that you have to show off your model, especially when ChatGPT is kind of ahead a little bit right now in the public relations race. But I have no doubt they're going to respond and they're going to, this will pass. They're Google, right? And so it'll be really exciting once we have an opportunity to see both the ChatGPT tool and the BARD tool in full motion on the search engines, ChatGPT with Bing, and then uh, BARD now with the Google search engine. And as we get to play around with them, it'll just be re really interesting to see which ones we prefer, how each one works a little bit differently. And ultimately, again, I think as the consumer, we win. I wanted to just share that with you so you're kept in the know. And now let me turn to my interview with Alex. Hello, hello. Good evening. Hey, Daniel. There you are. <laughs> hey. How are you doing? Good. It's uh, very busy. Yeah, I can imagine. Thanks for, for talking to me on a Friday evening here. I know it's pretty late. Oh, are, you we on the, are you on the West Coast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in San Francisco. Oh, awesome. Okay. I actually originally grew up in California, so I miss it. I'm on the East Coast right now. So, <laughs> oh, cool. Where are you based now? I'm out of Connecticut, but um, in my day job, like most of the time, I'm in uh, Boston and Massachusetts working with a program called One Goal. I mean, I think before we get too deep into it, what I'm just curious about is, you know, I had the opportunity to look a little bit at your LinkedIn profile and, and and see just a little bit of like your background and experiences. And it seems like you've had quite a multitude of experiences. You know, you've been in the business world, a little bit politics, and, you know, now you founded a, a nonprofit dedicated to creating this pretty awesome curriculum for, for students and for teachers to have conversations around like learning how to use AI, right. And developing their skills. I'm just kind of curious, how did you get there? So my background's in politics. I went, went to Ohio State. I, I studied political science. Uh, I worked on the Obama re-election campaign. And then I went to D.C. and so I was working for the White House doing uh, as a presidential appointee at Department of Health and Human Services. And my focus there was really on community and state level engagement for Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, um, a little bit of Ebola communication stuff. And, and around, you know, it was like the administration was wrapping up. And so like many of my colleagues, uh, in the administration, I was, you know, this was 2016 and, and the technology industry was front and center in terms of just where a lot of the action and energy was. And so I kind of followed that. And I had a lot of mentors in my life who said, you know, Alex, this data thing at the time was like big data, but it was like, you know, this, like big data is something that you should just stay close to. It's going to be the future. And so I kind of followed that. And so I went to a tech company that was an AI company that was using AI to do in the renewable energy space. 
And then I moved out to San Francisco and I was working for companies like uh, Airbnb and Hewlett Packard. And, and while I was in San Francisco, I just started to, this was right as the conversation about artificial intelligence really started to pick up. Um, and that's because of some advances in the, in the models uh, and the use of neural networks uh, and machine vision was starting to really get sophisticated. The, the hardware was, was improving and the use cases were broadening. And so we started to see, I, I started to see this disconnect between the conversations that were happening in my work in, in the technology space where people are talking about AI as this is going to be the next big technology revolution. It's going to reshape our economy and displace millions of workers and create all these new opportunities. And what I noticed is that the folks who were having those conversations were all the same usual suspects. It was like almost like a, a group of about, you know, let's say two or 300 different researchers and thought leaders from certain universities like Stanford and, and Harvard and um, certain tech companies and certain think tanks. And, you know, as, as part of that work, I was actually volunteering with an AI think tank that had spun out of the Harvard Kennedy School called the Future Society. Through that work, I started to really lean into the AI space. And what I saw was, I, I basically felt like if we're gonna, if we're really talking about this technology that's gonna reshape society, it seems like the sort of thing that society should be aware of. And I couldn't get that out of my head. You know, like how do how do we make sure that Americans broadly are aware of these discussions and conversations that are happening? And so the AI education project actually started out as an an exploration of how would we educate all Americans, right? Like, how do we make sure that everybody has sort of a basic awareness and literacy because they're being impacted by these technologies? It's going to shape the opportunities that for not just them, but for their kids. And so I was like sort of exploring this idea. I was having breakfast with one of, someone who became one of our first board members, uh, Marcus Broccoli. He's the former executive editor of the Washington Post. And I think I got him really activated about it because I think he was seeing it from the media lens that you know the media is driving a lot of the discourse and it's not necessarily relevant to people it's it's what plays in the media is not necessarily what you need to know as a consumer or as a citizen or as a teacher or as a student and so he and i started brainstorming like okay what would this look like in that process i had a conversation with my mom and my mom is a teacher at a title one school uh, in akron ohio and what's special about akron is so her school was you know three quarters of the students are on free or reduced lunches it's a twenty thousand student district it's on the brookings institute institution list of cities most at risk for automation. And when I was talking to my mom about what I was learning about artificial intelligence, she commented like, oh, I wish my kids were learning about this. It seems really relevant to them. And that was sort of the oh shit moment. It's like, well, what do you mean? We're not talking to high schoolers about the future of work because on my LinkedIn and all, at all of these conferences, the future of work is like the most talked about topic. So why is it that all of these techies are talking about the future of work and yet we're somehow not having that same conversation with like literally the future workers and kids who are making really big decisions about what is their career path going to look like and that's where we started to realize that there was a really specific gap and so while we couldn't boil the ocean and solve the problem about ai literacy for everybody it did feel more manageable to say okay well let's focus specifically on k-12 and so you know i'm not an educator but i ended up bringing on a pulling together a team of rock stars from some of the biggest AI and, and STEM nonprofits, Girls Who Code, AI for All. And we actually worked together to build curriculum specifically for Title I schools. And the idea being that in order to solve this problem for schools like Akron Public Schools, where my mom, where my mom was, 
you had to build curriculum that was accessible to more than just computer science teachers. Because when we did, we partnered with Georgetown, did a landscape analysis of the AI education space. And what we found is that most of the curricula and projects and opportunities that were out there were really designed for computer science classes. And um, that's a huge bottleneck. Like Akron Public Schools has 20,000 students and one computer science teacher. That computer science teacher is way overwhelmed and not necessarily going to be the best channel to convey this information to students. And so the question was, how do we make this information accessible? And we hone in on this idea of build uh, standards aligned content for core subjects, math, science, English, social studies, um, that connects artificial intelligence with those subjects uh, and make it really easy to implement by displacing as little class time as possible initially. And so we started experimenting with different forms of curriculum. We built a like a nine week course that was designed for like CTE classes and you know, introduction to computer science classes. Uh, but we also built something called AI snapshots, which is these five minute warm up activities. And an example is, you know, an English class having a debate about the use of chat GPT or large language models in journalism, or a US history class talking about the AI Bill of Rights that the White House put out and asking students, you know, what would you put in your AI Bill of Rights? And, you know, that connection with AI ethics, with the future of work, with generative AI and its impact on the creative industry and its impact on the humanities, it almost like opened the, it almost like broadened the table in terms of who actually can engage on this topic, because that was always the vision, right? It's like, this needs to be more than just the techies. And so how do you make it accessible and exciting and interesting and relevant to people who aren't necessarily STEM kids or STEM teachers? So we were doing that work for four years. You know, we were, I've been saying we've been wearing the t-shirt before the band was cool. And then something happened in December of last year, which is ChatGPT was released. And in five days, they gained a a million users, fastest adoption of any product in human history. As of January, I believe they're at 100 million active users. And then now you have Google with Bard and Microsoft talking about integrating ChatGPT across their entire product suite. And in just two months, the game changed because suddenly we spent we used to spend all of our time convincing teachers, right? This is important, you know, basically sharing this vision of what we've been hearing from the technology industry and trying to convey that urgency to teachers. And, you know, we, we ended up building an amazing network of educators and, and administrators who were really passionate. But it was a lot of, it, it took some time to get past that sort of skepticism about, is this just another emerging technology hype train? And then when people started using ChatGPT, I think that really brought it home. Because it's hard to use ChatGPT even a little bit and not immediately realize, like, this is the next big technology revolution. This is like one of those once in a generation moments, like the creation of the Internet or the creation of the personal computer, where I think people are realizing this is going to be a tool that everybody is going to be using. And teachers are having to immediately deal with the ramifications for assessments in the form of like, what do we deal with? How do you deal with kids potentially using it to cheat? But I think it goes way beyond just assessments. It, it actually touches on what does this mean for the skills students need to have? Like, do students need to know how to write? You know, how do we how do we st- sort of balance the value of these tools with the need to build underlying sort of fundamental knowledge about how to form ideas and express yourself? So we've been inundated with with basically requests from schools basically at, coming to us and saying, we now realize we need to find a way to talk about AI in the classroom what do we do? And, and thankfully, we've spent the last four years trying to have an answer to that. Um, and so it's just, you know, very good timing. And we're, we're really fortunate that we have 
an amazing team in place to actually sort of meet that demand and that excitement and sort of energy. And there's folks like you, right, who are who are also saying, well, we need to fill this open space and sort of drive a conversation about the impact of these technologies, the implications for educators. Yeah, no, I, I totally just appreciate that reflection. And I will say, uh, as someone who spent many years teaching students in the classroom, uh, most, most of those students, very similar to your mom, marginalized students, and then working with uh, students as a college access counselor, what I really appreciate your, about your curriculum is the many ways that you've scaffolded it to support students at all different levels. I can definitely uh, imagine first generation ESL students being able to access those lessons and having really positive experiences in their different content areas. And then for teachers, I noticed that you provided a lot of different ways in which they can deliver the lesson from these five minute options to some of these 25 minute lessons to even giving kind of these like larger project based uh, learning type experiences for students, which emphasize skills, which I am a big uh, proponent of, I think is really ensuring that students have the opportunity to think about the skills and harness their skills versus knowledge, especially with the emergence of chat GPT. Um, so one question though, that I would, I would also ask is we've had a lot of educators come out and, and also school districts come out and respond to chat GPT and some of these learning language models with a little bit of hesitation, namely because there now is the potential as there is with a lot of these technological tools that exist to be able to, uh, have students, have educators take things at face value and not interrogate that information. And for some of that information to be wrong, right? And for us to over rely on some of that technology. I'm curious, either within your curriculum or some of the conversations you had have had with schools, how are you encouraging them to mitigate some of the potential drawbacks with this technology in the sense of not over relying on the knowledge that it provides and, and kind of interrogating it more? Yeah, I mean, I, I almost feel like you're making a nod to what New York public schools did, which is ban chat GPT outright. And I think, you know, I think New York public schools has gotten a, a lot of flack because people are saying, oh, that's short sighted. But I would actually say that it's very reasonable and maybe even prudent for educators to say, hey, let's hit the pause button and really think about this. Because, you know, in terms of even like when you look at the terms of use, kids under the age of 13, there's a lot of regulations, right, that these districts need to be keeping in mind. And so I, I actually think it's, I don't have a position about whether schools should ban AI or generative AI tools, broadly speaking. I do think that it's incumbent on all of us, meaning both the technologists and civil society and governments and organizations that support schools to equip educators with the knowledge to make those decisions in an informed way. And that applies to both what and how do you teach students about AI in the classroom, but also what tools should we be deploying on students? What tools should we be giving students the power to use? And, and how do we talk to students about those technologies and tools limitations and put them in the position of, again, we talk about AI ethics and how it's a great way to engage the humanities, uh, it's also really relevant to administrators. They need to think about what type of data are is being collected from our students that are using these tools and how is it being used. So I, I, that's not really, that's a bit of a non-answer because I think this is such a fast moving space that anybody that tries to say that there is a, that there is an answer, I think is really shortchanging the complexity of this. And our focus is really making sure that schools are empowered with, again, the questions they need to be asking. And you have to start there. And from there, you can really build and, and say, well, even if chat GBT isn't the right tool, maybe there are some, maybe there's another type of 
language model that could work really well. And maybe we can communicate that to some of the folks that are building these tools because ChatGPT is just the tip of the iceberg. There's there's a lot of companies that are building language models that are probably going to be deployed by the time. If you're a freshman, I mean, the way I think about this is if you're a freshman in high school, so you're you know, 14 years old, 15 years old, you're six, you know, between four to eight years away from your first job. Four to eight years away. I mean, the CEO and founder of Stable, uh, Stability AI, the, which creates Stable Diffusion, which is one of the image generation models, he was on a podcast recently and he, he predicted that within three years, students will be able to use text to create not just images, but full movies, like animated films. And so you might be worried about that. There's questions about what that means for the creative industry. And these are all questions that need to be answered. But this also means that students are going to have incredibly powerful tools to create with. And student projects are going to be able, we're going to be able to empower them to do really cool, sophisticated stuff without any technical expertise. And so it's really going to change the the nature of what's possible for students. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited by that. Yeah, definitely. I think to your point, this is at least for mainstream media myself, you know, one of the big reasons I was compelled to start this process was just my own experience with chat GPC. And prior to that, I didn't hear a lot of dialogue within schools around the use of AI or the, you know, the impending development there. And to your point that there's been an explosion now in just the last couple of months of folks know learning about things such as learning language models, hearing about things like chat GPT and now Bard. This is going to continue to evolve and there's going to be so many tools that continue to develop here. And it'll be just interesting to see how that changes and how the conversation evolves. I'm curious to hear how has maybe we think of it as like pre-chat GPT and then post-chat GPT, how have educators responded to using the curriculum in the classroom? What kind of stories have you heard about schools and, and educators using the education project snapshot lessons and the full lessons? And what, you know, what, what stories can you tell us about how that's being used for some of your partners? Well, I think the main thing is if you look at the teachers that we partner with, very, very few of them are AI experts. And that was that's really important because I think what we've been able to demonstrate over the past few years, and especially since we launched our curriculum for free on our website publicly at the beginning of the school year, was we broke down the barrier to entry for teachers. And that was always our vision. And, and I think the fact that you have this really wide, diverse array of teachers and subjects uh, engaging with AI curriculum is sort of proving our, our point, which is this is something that can be integrated into any classroom in the US. Um, but a specific example, you know, I think what what we know about Gen Z is they're very social, social justice issues are, they're exciting and interesting and uh, topics that students are really leaning into. And so putting them in the driver's seat to think about questions around AI ethics and responsible use of the technologies and building awareness about how even products that they're familiar with, like TikTok and Instagram, what does it mean when you're training the algorithm, right? Like what is the, what, what's used with that data? What, what are the pros and cons of using AI to police those platforms and to deal with things like cyberbullying? What we've seen is that students really lean into that. They're, they're super engaged and they're very opinionated because, you know, Gen Z basically grew up not just using these apps and tools, but also being impacted by them really significantly. And so I think, I think that's really exciting because the on-ramps for engaging in the discussion about AI are a lot broader than what's previously been, our previous experiences have been with, you know, STEM and computer science and robotics, which 
you know, very like in California, I think less than 6% of students graduate high school having completed even a single computer science class. And so CS in a lot of states really is still the vast minority of students are actually getting those experiences. And I think with AI, we can actually change that. I mean, you've started to really explore the AI education space through this podcast and through your own work. And like, what have you seen? Like, how would you define the state of the, the space right now? Yeah. So uh, to your point, I mean, I'm mostly coming from this from um, an entirely an educator perspective. I, I knew nothing about AI prior to my work with uh, learning about ChatGPT. So if you were to ask me four weeks ago what AI was, I, I thought it was, you know, those those robots that were supposed to be automated and that were supposed to kind of take over a lot of more blue collar type roles and do that. That was my understanding of what AI is. When I had when I learned about what ChatGPT was and learning language models and the idea that it can replace a lot of the more uh, knowledge based kind of professions that we have, it completely blew my mind in the way that I thought about uh, artificial intelligence and its capacity. And so what I've noticed just in school settings that I have been interacting with is I think the conversation right now continues to mostly be focused around chat GPT. It continues to mostly be focused around plagiarism, I, th I would say in particular, and how folks are using it in the classroom. I don't think the conversation has yet uh, transitioned to one more thinking about how can these types of tools uproot education. I will say for me, what I really appreciate about the emergence of AI is it, it feels like another opportunity for education to transform in a way that I thought the pandemic was was going to do for a lot of public school education. And unfortunately, what I've seen in the last couple of years is that it, it initially brought a, a quite a significant change. I would say the most significant was, of course, now almost every student across the country has a laptop or has done some type of virtual education. But what I've also noticed is that across classrooms, we've kind of got, gotten back to business as usual. And a lot of the, the conventional practices that were there 20 and 2019 and prior. And what I'm hoping is that now that these tools are really just coming out or almost in everybody's face and educators face, that we will really now as educators, as uh, school leaders, as system level leaders, sit down, have a conversation about what it truly is that students need to be learning, how we can best prepare them for the future that they're going to have that we don't fully even understand yet. Because to your point, it's going to look different than the future that currently or the reality that currently exists. And my hope is that we will really take an opportunity to rethink how we are educating students, hopefully uh, really uproot some of the uh, conventional practices, even the way that we have content, right? We have English classes, history classes, science classes, math classes. Is there a world where those things can be more inter interdisciplinary? Is there a world where we can focus more on skills and leveraging technology out there to do some of the like knowledge for us, but not some of the thinking for us, right? And really encouraging students to think to interrogate, to ask very difficult questions, to develop those critical thinking skills, but not overemphasizing the need to know a lot of facts and a lot of factoids and, and really pushing away from that. That is my aspiration for some of these tools is that it'll, it will allow us to go back to some of those really fundamental conversations we were having during the pandemic. And then they kind of went away as we transitioned back to business as usual. And we can really go back to what needs to be true for students as they're navigating a world that is going to be significantly different than I think it has been for millennials and for uh, other generations before us. I think this is why like, even a podcast like this is actually really valuable because you're trying to aim for a moving target. Like a snapshot of what capable, the capabilities are today is not necessarily a reflection of what the capabilities will look like three years from now, let alone 
eight years for a freshman who's trying to figure out what what's the world going to look like when I graduate college. And so you can find that intimidating and say, well, this is intractable and really hard. But at the same time, I think it means that we're going to have this opportunity for a vibrant dialogue that is interesting and engaging and relevant. And I think the key is we need to make sure that educators are and students are being included as opposed to just being affected. And I think AI education and AI curriculum is a really important tool to do that. But it doesn't replace the most important thing, which is instilling curiosity among people to keep tabs, like follow, like read the news, read the text section of whatever publication you, whatever your favorite publication is. Because this is, I mean, this is akin to, it's like 1995. There's this thing called the internet and we have personal computers. And the difference between the internet and artificial intelligence is the, the rate of progress is going to be a lot faster, we think. And so there's going to be a need to be more on the ball and less reactive. Um, because if we're reactive, we're really seeding these decisions to a small minority of people who are actually building the tools. And even those folks, you know, I've, I've talked to the folks at OpenAI, I've talked to the folks at, at Google, and, and they are very eager to get input from stakeholders. You know, they also understand how impactful these technologies are going to be. But it's at the end of the day, you have to have informed and educated stakeholders who are provided with a platform to share their views and opinions. Um, and to have a, a views and opinions, they need to have some working understanding of what it is that we're talking about when we say AI. And that's what we, for what it's worth, spend a lot of time in our curriculum really addressing the definition. Because again, four years ago, when we used to kick this off, there was a lot of consternation about what is AI and what is the definition of AI? And do we consider an algorithm artificial intelligence? Or what about a machine learning model? I think most people would say neural networks are AI. But we try to break it down to something that's a little higher level and it's less semantic. So we, we use a definition that's something like, you know, computer systems that can replace tasks or that can perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. Um, so we try to take a broad definition because for us, it's actually less important what, whether a technology is truly artificial intelligence. And it's more important to understand how is this technology going to be replacing human intelligence, whether that's decision-making or specific tasks or creativity or content generation. And so there's a, there's a need to get away from like abstraction. And the way to do that is through vignettes about practical applications, like show people, you know, we, we show like videos of the John Deere autonomous tractor that they previewed at the consumer electronics show. They, we show people, you know, I'm in San Francisco. I see self-driving cars all over the place. You know, a lot of the educators that we work with have never seen a self-driving car in real life. And so they see these videos and it's like, whoa, it brings it to life. And again, I just think that's the power of information and, and communication, let alone education. Well, and to, and to your point, I mean, what I love about your curriculum is that in the first couple of modules, I know that you encourage students to build their own product or their own type of AI product using this. And so for all we know, and likely this is the case, there is right now an eighth grader or a high school student sitting in a classroom that is going to experience some of the AI projects curriculum or another one of these experiences that is going to build one of the next great AI functions that exists out there. So I'm just looking forward to 
having these students uh, understand this technology and, and make it even better because they're, this generation in many ways has proven to be so innovative and so willing to uh, advocate for themselves. Yeah, and I'll just close with this because I think this is a really great place to close on. This is either an opportunity to exacerbate technology inequality, economic inequality, societal inequality, or it's a once in a generation moment to redefine what skills are required to build amazing companies and ideas. And the barrier to entry is actually lower, not higher, because just like Brian Chesky, who founded Airbnb, didn't have to create the internet and didn't even know how to code a web page, but he knew how to use the internet and use, you know, in this case, mobile, mobile applications to actually create a company that was going to add a tremendous amount of value and bring something really new and unique to the table. And that's what AI is going to be for the next generation is these are, it's going to be the platform that students are going to use to build the next generation of companies and platforms and ideas. Well, Alex, thanks again for your time today. I really look forward to uh, just seeing the continued work that the AI project does. And I really look forward as well to just seeing how the curriculum impacts the many students out there that need to be a part of this conversation, this dialogue. Yeah, Daniel, thank you so much for having me. This is a really important dialogue to continue having. Mm-hmm.